James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. After having given us some of the sternest words of warning in the first few verses of this passage, those verses, if you'll recall, concerned the mistreatment and abuse of people that this particular businessman was mistreating his employees. After having read about all of that last week and talked about it last week, here God is giving us a reprieve. He doesn't want to leave us in despair and say that that's the way business is handled in this world. Instead, he's generous and he turns this conversation to tell us that there is relief from the ravaging effects that might take control out there in that business world in our average business day. Some of you may have experienced some difficulty with your employer in the past. I believe that all of us do. But he's saying there's more to it than that. And here with the apostles' word, God tells us to take a step back from our behaviors and be patient. Be patient with him and what his plans are for us. His words are implying and revealing that he has a different and more righteous desire for you and me, his beloved children. And here in these words, God cautions our hearts and our minds that patient perseverance will be required of us as we deal with some of the deeply ingrained sinful habits and behaviors that we ourselves have become so accustomed to over the years. Behaviors that really have no place within the kingdom of God that we live in today and on into eternity. May I pause for a moment, though, and remind us of something that we said in the message last week. While none of us in this congregation really seem to fit into the description of that unscrupulous and, and corrupt businessman spoken about in those earlier verses, cheating and mistreating his workers, you and I still might, as I mentioned a moment ago, might have some of those same propensities hidden within the depths of our souls. Why is that so? It's because the nature that brings on those sinful habits, those sinful behaviors and controversies, they have remained since Adam and Eve first sinned and embedded that nature into our DNA. And even though in Christ God has freed us from the control of our old sinful nature, from our affinities, but some of those affinities do remain. All of those old ways didn't go away the moment that we were saved. They still keep managing to rear 
their ugly heads, tempting us and luring us into their trap. And I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles. And I'd like for us to look at some of the nature that came into our being at the fall of, of mankind back there in the garden. I'd like for you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to spend a few minutes there. There beginning in verse 16, God warns us that now that you and I are in Christ, we are not to walk in or cooperate with the desires of our old flesh, our old sinful nature. And as I read these words, I want you and I to notice carefully the use of the word lust. Now, in this context, God is not necessarily making reference to a sexual form of lust, but it's also referring to any excessive desire for the things of this world. Listen to these words, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 5 of Galatians. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to, the, to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And here's a whole litany of these sinful behaviors that we are subject to. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Can you imagine all of that? And our dear Lord, who gave his life there on the cross for us, he's looking at us moment by moment, and he sees these things still taking place. Such a difficult passage to consider when we think of ourselves because we look at ourselves and we can't imagine that we fit into any of these. But folks, we do. Again, not all of them. Maybe not nearly all of them. But some of these do fit us. And he wants us to understand that. Now, thankfully, a few verses later in Galatians 5, God gives us a precious remedy for all those sinful behaviors. The remedy is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes to indwell in us, he brings these precious fruits into our soul to help us to battle with whichever of these sins fit us. Listen to this passage carefully and note this strong contrast between the desires and the lusts of our flesh and then these precious fruits of the Holy Spirit. He tells us in verse 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, <coughs> kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And he says, against those there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Praise be to God for these precious fruits. He gives us these to enable us then to deal with those behaviors and habits that we still bring into our relationship with Him. He tells us here that we can see how these simple desires are offset by these fruits of the Spirit. And by the way, this Galatian congregation 
was just not too far away from the same congregations that the Apostle James was ministering to. And so we can see those same kinds of behaviors were taking place in their churches that were taking place in James's church, but also too in the churches of our present day. And again, why is that so? It's because our sinful desires and our temptations to do wrong are natural to us. They're natural to us. It's as God told us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. I've heard the expression so often that that's just the way we are or it's the way people are. And that's so true, but it's also so wrong. And God doesn't want us to continue in that. Our sinful nature comes already predisposed towards so many of these temptations that we encounter. Most of those temptations are falling under what God calls the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and pride of life. And then to add to that difficulty, we also have the world, the flesh, and the devil that know those sinful behaviors so well, and they can use them so well and so effective to drag you and me into depravity. And while becoming born again as a Christian does free us from the control of those sins, the temptations are still there. The temptations will always be there. Why is that? It's because the world, the flesh, and the devil never, they never tire of what they do. It's who they are, and it's what they do. And they're always reaching into our part of the world to tempt us to do any number of these particular problems that are mentioned here in Galatians 5. And so each day as we rise up, fresh new temptations await us. Perhaps today it might be selfish ambition. I'm thankful that I'm no longer in the business world, and so I don't experience so much of that drive to get ahead and to get promoted. But selfish ambition, dissensions, dissensions within the business office, I can recall so often that taking place. Also, too, drunkenness. I knew so many people that drank an awful lot. Again, some of these, perhaps most, are not temptations to you or to me. But somewhere within this list, this long list, is at least one or more that the devil can tempt us with. And that's why he's given us these words. He's saying, the world, the flesh, and the devil are always doing what they do. But thanks be to God, there in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he tells us that no temptation has ever come to you and me that's not common to us, but God is faithful and he will not let you and me be tempted beyond your ability and also with the temptation will also provide the way of escape. You and I will be able to endure them. That's one of the greatest benefits of our being born again and having the Holy Spirit to come and live within us. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond that point that we can actually resist it. But with that temptation, he'll always provide us a way of escape. He tells us that clearly right here, that we'll be able to endure it. And that promise is one that God will always keep. He will always keep it. By the way, it may not seem that way. How often have you even said, oh, I just couldn't help myself. I did this thing. Someone on the trip over, we had someone pull out in front of us in their car. My first tendency was to be like the old Bill, and I wanted to be unkind. Thanks be to God for his Holy Spirit. A question now. 
How does God convey his precious provision of help to us in those moments of need when we're being tempted? How does he provide us with the right behavior? And the answer is in these verses that I just read and in these words about the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Also, too, in Ezekiel 26, that's Ezekiel 36, he says to us, I have put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Isn't that a precious promise? He's not only put his Holy Spirit in us, but he's actually going to cause us to obey them. His spirit never leaves you and me for a moment. He will always be faithful to fulfill his promise to warn us away from responding the way we did before we had his Holy Spirit living in us. And in addition to that, as the Holy Spirit abides within us, all of these fruits are available to us. Listen again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits, listen, these fruits are within you and me right now, and they are right at our fingertips and ready to provide the needed remedy for any of these simple temptations that arise within our soul. No matter what inclination towards sin that our soul may experience, as we allow these special fruits to have their freedom to operate within us, no simple temptation can overpower us. These precious fruits are a way of escape that God provides, and praise be to God for them. Stop for a moment and consider these fruits. This first one, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. The love of Christ dwells within us, and with his love dwelling within us, we don't get involved in such behaviors as these mentioned here, adultery, hatred, contentions, and others like them. If you and I have the love of Christ dwelling within us, we'll not do those things. We'll not do those things that that corrupt businessman did to his workers there in those first several verses of this chapter. If we love the Lord Jesus and if we love our neighbor, such behaviors will simply not occur within us. It's as Jesus told us, all the laws and all the prophets are wrapped up in this one matter of loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others. And the more that we do devote ourselves to loving him, the less we are apt to succumb to the temptation that's there in front of us. And the most wonderful part of this command is that God has already put that love into our spirit by his spirit, enabling us to fully obey his command to love. Isn't that amazing? Well, what that means is you and I are without excuse. We have everything that it takes for life and godliness. Here in this message today that God has given to us in this passage, the apostle James speaks about the special need for patience. And in particular, the need for patient perseverance as we endure all the many long drawn out difficulties of our days. Let me read these words for us again in verse 7 of James chapter 5. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You and I want to have quick answers to everything. 
we want immediate satisfaction. But if you'll notice in these words, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. That's a while. That's not today. That's not in a week or a month. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's very important. Behold, the judge is standing at the door, my brethren. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. Why does he give us this here at the end of this? Listen, he says, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Why does he put that at the end of these words? Notice when you get impatient at someone, your voice starts to rise. And it's usually in some form of a disagreement. And you want to start to do some form of swearing to them, to get them to believe what you're saying, to get them to agree with you. But he's saying, no, don't do that. Be patient with that person. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Of all of these precious fruits of the Holy Spirit that are present within my soul, patience is one fruit that I personally seem often to fail to apprehend. And I, that same failing seems to be common among many of the brethren of the faith. For me, I believe I know at least some of the reason why patience is such an elusive fruit of the Spirit within me. It's because my old personality the one that God formed within me as he wove me together in my mother's womb. It's a personality that sometimes I describe as being similar to ADD. And it still has sway within my daily behaviors. And as you might know, us ADD types seem to want to run about three steps ahead of everybody else and wonder why they're not catching up. And no, listen, my personality is not defective. God didn't make a mistake. My personality is the one that God intended and intentionally designed for me. And when I use it the right way, I'm able to accomplish many more things than I would otherwise. And for that reason, I'm glad God made me the way he did. But with that being said, I know that I dare not leave my personality unattended. If I just accept my personality and demand that you accept my personality, it doesn't work for good relationships. If I let my personality go unattended, it can so quickly get out of control, and I can easily become impatient and, and be offensive. But thanks be to God, His Holy Spirit fruit of patience gives me help over and over again, every day, giving me a way of escape from my dilemma of impatience, warning me away from so many of the opportunities that I have for failure. And one of the precious means by which God ministers his grace of patience to me is through my beloved wife. She truly is my helpmate, helping me to remember to be patient when that driver pulls out in front of me 
when he should not have, or especially when I'm being tailgated. Also, when I get on the phone with someone who I'm asking them to help with some problem that I might have in my business or with my computer, and they're less than helpful, my wife will remind me that I need to be patient, and I'm so thankful. Folks, God truly is wise in His provision of grace. He knows that patience is something that we're going to have to work with every day. It's not a one-moment thing. It's not as simple as counting to ten. It doesn't work that way. Here in the fruits of the Spirit, patience, if you'll recall in other translations, is translated as long-suffering. Long-suffering. That's why I like to call the response patient perseverance. For my particular personality type, It really is a matter of a lifelong endurance of patience. As I began to prepare this message and to read the words of our scripture text here in the book of James, my first thought went to the impatient personalities that are common to the world and especially the unbelieving world. And oh, how impatient that world is. On the national scene, members of our political parties and of our, especially our national press, they seem to have no patience at all within their character or their behavior. In their broadcasts, interviews, they're so self-consumed with their own opinions. They want to get a particular point across. They'll ask a question, but they don't wait on the person to answer. They simply interrupt that person, or even worse, they talk over top of that person's conversation. But not only do we see it going on there in the national scene, and it's so obvious, there's a lack of patience in our small towns. As I sat there working on the message, it was early morning and I could hear the noise of the traffic going down my residential street. It's a residential street. Very few of those drivers were obedient to honoring the posted speed limits. And folks, especially our school buses. With all that being said, though, about the conduct and the behavior of the unbelieving world, these words of our scripture text, they're not directed particularly at those folks, but rather at you and me, the brethren in the faith. So may I then cut those folks, those unbelieving folks, some slack. Because while every person, believers and unbelievers alike, are held individually accountable for the sins committed. The unbelieving world, listen, the unbelieving world does not have the advantage that you and I have. As we said a moment ago, you and I are blessed with having the Holy Spirit abiding within us, warning us away from our sinful behaviors. Unbelievers do not. So then, with the Holy Spirit living within us, warning us away from our sinful behaviors, you and I are doubly accountable doubly accountable. He gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything we need to avoid and to escape the sins that befall us. You and I are truly without excuse when we behave wrongly. We have the blessed Holy Spirit and all of His fruits abiding within us, giving us everything that we need. And so we have no excuse. As I observe my own behaviors, I think my greatest failure involving my lack of patience is my failure to remind myself, listen, my failure to remind myself that God already has a plan that He is working out 
and the circumstances of my life, and his plan is a good one, far better than my plan. And I really do need to humbly take a step back and wait, patiently wait, upon him and his plan to take its sway in whatever circumstance I'm in. One last thought. Patience is especially needful as you and I interact with others within the Christian faith, but also especially within our families. As we studied in an earlier message, if impatience is combined with an uncontrolled tongue, then damaging conversations can so easily take place. Conversations that you and I will wish had never taken place. Hurtful words spoken that we can never take back, causing offense and harm for years to come. So much of that is this problem with impatience. Now, yes, sometimes our family will hold us accountable and say, I don't want you to be talking to me that way. But let me assure you, our real accountability lies at a much higher level. It's God himself who will hold us accountable. And he tells us that right here. He says that our judge is always close, standing right at the door. And he's hearing and he's seeing all that we say and that we do. And he's prepared to administer justice for our sinful behaviors, our sinful impatience. This is real, folks. This is real. Sometimes God's recompense for our impatience will wait until we're in heaven. Not sure what he's going to do about it, but it might wait till then. But also, sometimes he doesn't wait. As a loving father, God will often administer correction to us here and now in order to bring us back into our right behavior. And so with these words, we're warned. And I'll close with these. He says, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Let's pray.